0: Good morning everyone, my name is Pastor Scott, so glad to be with you as we continue our sermon series, The Art of the Journey. We've been looking through the summer at the life of Moses uh, as an example of faithfulness and the example of of frankly tough journeys. Uh, And today we look at kind of the fifth installment, chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 of Exodus under this theme that this is the time to remember and the power of memory to drive our faith. Will you pray with me now? Father, thank you so much from the moments ahead that uh, you open the scriptures. As always, Lord, we pray that you would be opening and enlightening our own journeys and our own paths. And as you did this thing then 3,500 years ago, leading your people to safety. Father, we pray that you do this work now. That you would be drawing us as men and women, young and old, uh, closer to your heart. And that we would find ourselves on a journey. A journey with a trajectory, its endpoint with fullness of life of Christ. The life of Christ inside of us. Lord, we pray that we would take this journey this morning. In your great name, we pray. Amen. This is the time to remember, as your sermon tile day, the time to remember. Uh, this last week, I had the great opportunity to work from a lake house. And we left Sunday after church. I've got a very generous friend, and he's got a place north of Spokane. He says, Come and be here. And you can work on your sermons here and be with your kids here. And this is literally the view from which. Uh, I would sit in the morning and drink coffee and read scriptures, and, and uh, this, is, this is life at the lake. Now, if you know my story at all, you know that I, for 30 years, I was a salmon fisherman in the summer. So for 30 years, from June, July, August, we would work 20 hours a day doing good work, hard work, uh, good work in nature, but we never had a day off. And so that meant for the entirety of my upbringing, I never knew what it was like to spend a day at the lake in the summer, and so literally for, you know, up until about five years ago, I had never experienced this thing you all call summer. And so it was like awe to me. And, uh, you know, but this year was a little bit different. We've gone to this lake cabin for five years. And I remember the first time being like, wow, there's a, there's a boat we can go tubing. And there's a jet ski. And there's, a, there's like a barbecue that smokes your meat all day. And I'm, I'm like a kid at Disneyland at this place, right? But then familiarity brings, yeah. Contentment, contentment kind of leads to eh, status quo. So this year, well, it's kind of colder than normal. And this year, there was kind of like this wind blowing a lot. And this year, we could try to catch fish off the dock and the fish weren't biting. And this year, I was kind of cognizant of all the ways that the experience wasn't living up to my dream potential. And on Wednesday, kind of late in the week, when this had been kind of the experience that I'd been laboring through, like, eh, kind of a down year at the lake. You know, the jet ski, the boat the smoker, yeah, it's there, but ah, this wind, you know, and we had this friend come out Wednesday and, uh, sorry, Thursday, right, the, the last day, which was the nicest day, and, and he was reminding me, I was like, well, yeah, you know, it's been windy, he's like, yeah, I was with you five years ago, the first time you ever went tubing in the summer, he's like, you were drooling, you were laughing so hard, you were literally belly, like, do you remember that, I was like, yeah. He's like, do you remember that like the first time we came out here and then the jet ski and these things, like, do you remember that? I was like, yeah. And he's like, man, how soon we forget. And I was, you know, busted because he's exactly right. I, I'd, I'd kind of forgotten. I'd been so caught up in, you know, the ways that it wasn't the dream few days at the lake that I was missing the best of the journey. And this ties into scripture today. Because as we look at the life of, of Moses and the, the nation of Israel as they're journeying from, from being captives into freedom, they continue to forget. And so I submit to you this idea this morning that the power of our faith isn't always that next thing we might do or conquer or the ultimate experience. But through the scriptures this morning, there's actually the sustenance for our faith is found in our memory. Because this is we remember that it, it births gratitude. And a remembering uh, thankfulness. And when we remember the ways in which God has provided for us, it gives us sustenance for the road ahead. Sometimes the best thing you can do in the life of faith is to remember. And so our big idea this morning is simply this. That it's remembrance of God's covenant faithfulness. And it's the basis of our faith. And this text today, we're going to be doing a lot today. I hope you brought your Bibles with you. But the text today reveals three significant places we're called to remember. The life of our Christian walk is born in the power to remember God's faithfulness. So let's look at the beginning, the first point of your outline. Remember the meal, covenant faithfulness revealed in the Passover. And before I read to you some from Exodus 12, we've just kind of skipped over the plagues. Exodus 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, there's 10 plagues three from the water, three onto the cattle, three for onto the land and to humanity, all for God to get Pharaoh's attention, all to remind the people to, so that they would remember that they worship a God who's powerful and that they worship a God, though it's been 400 years in Egypt, that, that hasn't forgotten them. At the end of Genesis, remember, Joseph ends up in Egypt by accident to him. He ends up in jail, but he doesn't stop being faithful. And it happens to be while he's there that he's able to care for Jacob and the other sons and actually provide a way to freedom for the the tribes of Israel, or else they would have died in the famine. And God's ways are always different than our ways. I mean, that's the life of Joseph. And now 400 years later, Israel working in captivity for Pharaoh. Did God forget about us? Did he forget about us? And so God's reminding, he sends Moses and Aaron back to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, I don't believe in your God. I believe in power. I believe in money. I believe in systems of humanity. I do not believe in this God. And it's at this point that the Passover narrative happens. It's the 10th plague. It is, comes to us in Exodus 12. And I'm reading now verses 2 through 10 and then going to jump to verse 23. There's details about the Passover lamb that at first blush are a little bit hard for our modern sensibilities. We're going to unpack them because we worship a God who sent his son Jesus to be our Passover lamb. So it's, as we remember the meal, we're going to remember the covenant faithfulness revealed in the Passover. Let's do this. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 1 through uh, 10. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, verse 2, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It's all starting now. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to the congregation of Israel saying, "On the 10th of this month, they're each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb should be unblemished. It should be perfect. A male, a year- old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill the lamb at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and on the lentil of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh the same night, roasted with fire. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of the raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire. Its heads, legs, its entrails. You shall not leave any of it until morning. But whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with the fire, verse 23, and then the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost of the believer's house, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. What in the world is going on here? This is the Passover. This is the the holy holiday still celebrated uh, by the nation of Israel, by by followers of, of Judaism. This is the Passover meal. It's a picture of relationship. It's a picture of what God will do that these people can't do on their own. It's not a story of violence, though we read it as such. It's a story of relationship. I'm going to talk about it a little bit in the, in the, the next section when we talk about what looks like as the nation of, of Egypt you know, kind of dies in the waters. We've got to remember that these are people that have been enslaved for 400 years. And God is showing up and God is saying, I'm going to set things right and this is our story as well because though we weren't there then we worship a god who is our passover lamb the book of john says behold the son of god who takes away the sins of the world he, he's the lamb of god the lamb of god who takes away the son the sins of the world and in first corinthians uh, paul writes jesus is he just lays it out jesus is our passover lamb So as New Testament Christians, we understand the significance of the Passover in our relationship, our saving relationship with Jesus Christ. He became our Passover lamb. We don't have to follow the rules like the nation of Israel did. But in this time, God was saying, I'm going to give you instructions for obedience. I'm not trying to test you. I'm not trying to punish you, Israel. But in this time, pre-Jesus, God was laying out, I'm going to give you specific instructions so that you can follow me. And Passover is this reminder that we don't deliver ourselves. We don't save ourselves. Yes, there's instructions, put blood on the doorpost. But you're going to sit in the home and wait, and the angel of the Lord will pass over you. And it's in Passover we remember that our greatest power is, is in receiving God's power. The greatest thing that we can do isn't more activity, but it's receiving more of God's activity in our life. We don't deliver ourselves, but we're called to obey. And by obeying God, by, by, by following the things that he's given in our lives to do, we're bringing a marker to the world that, that we believe God has power. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're like, hey, this isn't a bad idea. We're going to sacrifice an animal. We're going to put blood on our doorposts. And we live in Lake Forest Park or in Edmonds. You will probably be visited by the sheriff's office. It's not a good idea in our current context. So what does it mean today? It means that we mark our homes with the power of God. It means we mark our doorpost with God's obedience. It means we're teaching, if we're raising kids, we're, we're teaching kids about what it looks like to follow God. If we're living with roommates, we're saying, hey, you know, I, I read my Bible in the morning or at night. I, I'm trying to take steps of obedience. I don't earn the Passover lamb. I've received the full gift of grace in my life, but I want my life to be lived in response that I believe God has power. And so I'm going to mark the doors of this house. I'm going to remember what God has said to do. And in that way, that old teaching becomes new again. And God says, you know, this is what it will look like on this, this meal. You'll have you know, on the 10th, you'll gather the, the animals. On the 14th, they'll be sacrificed and then roasted. And, it, you know, you think about the power of a campfire to bring people together. It's like the s'mores. There's so much more than those 200 calories packed into a little fluffy white nugget. It's, it's, it's community around a fire, right? Or it's, you know, we're all sitting there and we're, we're having a glass of wine or we're, we're having a great, you know, this is what we get to do in the summer in the Pacific Northwest. We gather around the fire to have community, and so God gives really specific instructions. He says, have this party tonight. Have this roasted lamb. All of you people, don't, don't save it for tomorrow. Anything left, burn it up. And I'm not trying to punish you by putting obtuse rules in your life. I'm just, I want you to enjoy this night. And in waiting for me to deliver you, you showing the world that you believe that I am a God of power. God's call to remember is very sensory. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is, is good take refuge in him and so you just can picture this the whole nation gathering for this giant barbecue of like we're going to celebrate with our lives we don't even know what god is going to do he's telling us he will deliver us tonight we'll roast this lamb and enjoy and then the passover happens And another really important thing to notice here, because we read this with our modern sensibility, there's a lot of blood. There's blood on the doors. There's there's, uh, Pharaoh's sons died. They're released actually by bloodshed. The nation of Egypt will be drowned here further on. But it's important to remember for the nation of Israel, like I mentioned earlier, they were being oppressed, and we worship a God on the side of the brokenhearted, and we worship a God on the side of the oppressed. And we worship a God that though he will wait at times that feel like forever, he will set things right. And we worship a God that tells us at the end of time when heaven is restored on earth that God will come and wipe every tear from our eyes. And he sides with the marginalized and he sides with the oppressed. Later in this passage, God actually gives provision for people as they leave. If if there's a foreigner, he said, adopt them into the clan. Make them part of the family. And there's obedience things. There's going to be some things. They're going to be circumcised. You can listen to last week's sermon about that, about the power of an outward sign to show an inward belief. But even from the beginning, God's heart is to bring others in. And so they start the exodus, they start their road to freedom. After 430 years, 600,000 men, over a million people in total, they're on a journey and it's one of the things that we kind of poke fun of ourselves. The teaching team is the leadership of Bethany. We use that vernacular a lot. We use that language a lot. We're on a journey. Take a step. But it's a fitting one. Because every one of us in the room is called to a lifetime of sanctification, and the, kind of the old school faith, we just worried, you know, will people, you know, will people be justified? We're, we're justified, we're made right with God. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I, I, Lord, I, justify me. I, I, my, my journey needs to start somewhere. But I am called to a lifetime of sanctification, of Christ growing in me, of me appropriating the power available through the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be like how I was. I want to grow into the fullness of Christ's life in me. This is the journey. And it is more art form than a science experiment most times, right? Amen, right? It's mysterious and it's difficult, but it's beautiful. And we worship our own Passover lamb who came to take away our sins and invite us along to journey that we might be filled with his power and his presence and his spirit. And that's why this Exodus story matters to us. We are to remember the meal, remember the way in which Christ died for us to give us life and that we're on a trajectory of sanctification and the Lord will lead us and that's why I want you to understand this really important thing today. The sustenance for the journey of faith is found looking backward unto God's faithfulness and not forward in our own strength. The sustenance, where am I going to get this power and this strength Where will I continue to be energized on this journey of sanctification? It's not about me. It's not about my strength, my earning, my striving, my doing. It's about looking back into the God that has always been there for me and provided for me in ways that maybe felt painful in the moment and maybe it felt long to suffer through, but God has always remembered me. Remember? Do you remember? And that was the thing we started the series with. I talked to you about the power about storyboarding your life and writing the highs and lows, the places where God has showed up. Before God acts, we remember. To worship God then is to remember. To worship God is to remember what he's done. Verse 26 and 27 in chapter 12. Uh, And when your children say to you, what does this Passover rite mean to you? You shall say, it's a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses and sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but he spared our homes. And the people bowed low and they worshiped. They worshiped by remembering. We're called to be people of memory in a culture of forgetfulness. People of memory in a culture of forgetfulness. How do we remember the ways in which God shows up? Three weeks ago to the day, I, I rushed out after church to get to my son's youth soccer game on a field here in Shoreline, a turf field. My son's a great little player. Plays just a million miles an hour. It's a great joy to watch him play. He's coming up the right side, and he did a big cross, and his legs kicked out from underneath him, and he hit the turf, and like kids hit the turf all day, every day. This just happens, but this time it was different. He hit his head. I'm kind of, you know, parents, if you stood on the sideline, you're waiting for like five seconds, become 30, become 60. Like, what's happening here? My son stood up, and his legs buckled, and the coach ran out, and I ran out. And I get to him on the the field, and and he's just crying. And he's been knocked unconscious. He had a concussion. And he's crying because he says, I can't remember anything. Luckily, there was an ER doctor, and we're in concussion protocol now, and he's on his way back. But when we forget our memory of who we've been and what we've done, we've lost our ability to keep moving towards God. Do we remember well? We're called to be people of memory in a culture of forgetfulness because it's easy to forget. I can't tell you how many times where people, you know, they, we've prayed for a child, and then six months or a year later, I'm like, I, I'm praying with them again. They're like, yeah, know, parenthood is just ridiculous. It's so challenging. And I'm like, didn't we pray for this? Didn't we pray that, I mean, we, we forget. So the power for the sustenance of our faith is found in remembering the ways in which God has been with us and been for us, even through the darkest of times. So I'm like, man, when I remember, I remember divorce. I remember abuse. I remember loss. But did God show up through those times or not? Maybe you're here this morning still wrestling with that. I would encourage you to continue to wrestle. I encourage you to believe that God has never forsaken you and never abandoned you. The second thing that we need to remember from the text is remember the miracle and the nature of doubt that's really revealed at the shores of the Red Sea. All of chapter 13 is more of this testimony about teaching our children and the power of memory and, and then and God leading the people as both a cloud and as by fire and God showing up in ways that are surprising. And then this thing happens in, in chapter 14 which is really miraculous. I'm in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 14 of Exodus under point two, remember the miracle. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before a Paharoth between Migdal and the sea. So if I had a whiteboard, they they get as far out in the desert as they think they can go, and God says, turn back, back towards Egypt, back towards Pharaoh, back towards the army. You shall camp in front of Baal Zephon opposite by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh, and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and they did so. So they obeyed. Verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, what is this we've done that we've let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. They took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. They they head out. They're now attacking Israel. They're on the chase. Verse 8, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going boldly. Then the Egyptians chased them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh. I mean, they sent in the whole army. The whole thing. They're all they're all in attack now. They're in pursuit of Israel. A million unarmed civilians, two days out camping in the desert, Pharaoh sending the whole army. Verse ten As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. Very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt? You've taken us away to die in the wilderness? They're being sarcastic. They're being cynical. They want to go back. Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it's been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the wilderness. The nature of doubt is revealed out here in the wilderness, between Migdal and the sea, and the details of location matter a great deal here, because God sends them back, And geographically speaking, if we were looking at the Red Sea, God corners them. God sends them into the narrowest part of the Red Sea and says, Wait right here. And the wisdom of God seems contrary to the wisdom of humanity at times. You could just imagine a million of us heading out, Pharaoh's on his way, and God wants us to go back, back between the furthest out we can go and back to Egypt. God's got us waiting here in the middle, and we're cornered. God, what are you doing here? God, what are you about here? God, you, you want us to remember your power and you got us in a place where it feels like we can only lose. Historians and scholars have gone back and traced it that actually, had they continued on the trajectory they were headed, they would have headed right into some of Pharaoh's fortified cities. So actually, though the instructions seem contrary to their own instinct, God knew what he was doing. Had they journeyed on their own ability, they would not have made it. And so God says, turn back and wait right here and in that middle place in that tight place they they forget that god is deliverer so a question for you when cornered when in this middle place in places of persecution do you ever forget that god is powerful of course you do of course you do because you're human of course when life gets hard you think god you've got me in the wrong spot Of course, when marriage gets hard, you're you're certain that God has made a mistake somewhere. Of course, when when work feels hard or raising kids or uh, caring for your adult parents or any other place where God has you, of course, in this middle place, there's gonna be moments where doubt happens because you're human. And so stop beating yourself up that once in a while you feel discouraged for the middle place and start wondering how God can use these situations to grow your faith and diminish your doubt. Remember, remember the, the words in Mark where the man says to Jesus, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I say that every week. Because I turn on the news. I'm like, what's going on in the world? Or I turn on the news. What's going on in America Or I look into my own heart in places of selfishness or pride or or disengagement or any other place. Of course, there's times where we struggle to remember that God's powerful. But the practical application here in the midst of places where we're wondering where God is showing up, we are commanded. We don't have to earn the next step of the journey. We can look back and remember that God is powerful. God, I remember I remember why I wanted to have a child in the first place. Give me strength this day. God, I remember that this job felt like a blessing. Give me strength to be your witness in this place today. God, I remember. I remember that you were good then, and it feels mysterious now, and I feel like I'm wandering, and I'm not sure what you're doing, but I want to be a person of memory because the power of our faith is looking back into what God has already done in our life, the fact that he shows up. Remember. I mean, that happened for us so powerfully when we, when we had child one and two and parenthood felt really hard, and then we lost a baby, number three. And then child four and five, there were still late nights, there was still, you know, you're covered in every human substance, and I don't need, you know, every parent's like, uh-huh, and you, you know, you smell, you whatever, but it was different, because I remembered the pain and anguish we'd been through, and every bit of it felt like blessing, But you can't live in that place. You come back from the mission trip, you're like, I'll never forget. But then if you forget, right? So it's just, God, help me remember. Let me take that journey of memory. And may that sustain my faith. May that sustain my gratitude. May that memory sustain my parenthood. God, may that sustain the way that I live in the world. God, it's your power, not my own. Give me the memory of how your power has been made manifest in my life. And then verses 13 through 16, we get get this. It's powerful. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 13 through 16. Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by. You're cornered, but stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And I would just encourage you to put a star or a circle there that there's such power of memory here that just by by waiting here that God will fight for me. That just by waiting here silently and just kind of shutting up for a while that God can speak for me. And God's gonna send them onto his journey. I mean, it happens in verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Like, what are you doing here? Get going. Like, there's an army behind you. But here in the moment, verse 14, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. How do we know when is silence enough? I don't know. It's mysterious, but it's beautiful. The Lord will fight for you and give you power to lead in the marketplace, to lead in your homes, to lead in your relationships, to lead in your service, not in your own strength, but our journey is sustained by the power of what we've already seen. And there's no more important verse in the Old Testament than chapter 14, verse 22. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. That's amazing. It's amazing. How did God do it? Well, it looked like a storm to them. It looked like a storm. The wind was blowing all night, the strong east wind. This is verse 21. Moses stretched his hand out. The Lord swept the sea back by the strong east wind all night, turned the sea into dry land. I don't know if you've ever been camping in the wind. It doesn't look like the glory of God, right? And so you just imagine these people are in this middle place, Pharaoh's behind. They're trying to have this power of memory. God's told them, Why you sit here? I will fight for you. And then the wind blows. And it's storming all night long and you're in a tent and when is God going to show up anyway and you're already in the middle of a miracle. And some of you this morning need to be remembering that in the midst of the blowing wind and the howling tent and this middle place that you might be in the middle of a miracle of just God showing up in your life. Yeah, I recognize that things don't all turn out, you know, just beautifully in the end, in the the exact way that you might think, but there's this picture of provision that through the wind, through the storm, through Pharaoh, through his chariots, and everything that's a distraction, God says, I will show my power here. And so when you encounter these middle places when you encounter places of doubt and disgust and distraction, when you encounter places that feel like they're breaking you open, pray for God to increase your memory, diminish doubts, grow your faith, that God would be writing this powerful memory of a miracle and how he showed up in your life. Later in Joshua 4, the next time God sends these people, 40 years from now, by the way, because they waste a lot of time in the middle place, God, the next time he sends his people through the Jordan River into the promised land, remember what he tells the people? Take the stones from the river and build yourself an altar. Because we forget. So later in the Jordan, he just says, take a stone and remember. And we need things that jog our memory about how God has been good to us. We need things that jog our memory about the power of the things that God has placed us in the middle of. God, remind me again about the gratitude I'm to have for this job, for this relationship, for this child, for these roommates, for whatever things I'm going through. God, give me that remembrance stone. Help me remember. Many of you know the story of the junction, how we took the sugar strip club and transformed it into a coffee shop in our offices. And much of the project uh, was gone. We, the mirrors were up when we got there. We smashed the mirrors. We threw away the carpet. There wasn't much of value. There was one thing worth holding on to. There was this little one-by-one sign and it said sugars, kind of spray-painted artistically. And, and it was during the strip club era, it was the literal desk where the money for people to enter the club was, you know, slid across. I thought for a long time, I've got to destroy this thing, because, you know, everything about that old story was evil. But I hold on to it. It's a memory stone. Because we do ministry along Aurora uh, to high school students and to Bible studies and to people of the community, and also to friends at THS, the, people recovering, many of them from heroin, and doing ministry in the midst of addiction. For any of you struggling through addiction, you know, it's, it's tough. It's messy. It's challenging. So I keep that sugar sign. I keep it in my office behind the couch, and time to time, I just need to pull it up, and I just need to remember, God has done a miracle here. And, and yeah, it's still a lot of hard work, and there's days that don't turn out perfectly, and we don't have all the answers, and it's still very mysterious, but I need to remember God's faithfulness. And the fact that I can remember there was a miracle here, that he led a church into a place to create what was very dark, a place of great light. What helps you remember? I submit to you that encouragement this morning. You need places that jog your memory of God's faithfulness, of the miracles in your life. And finally, the final piece of remembrance here is step three, is remember the desert. And the desert's a place of wilderness. It's also a place of discovery. I turn now to Exodus 15, uh, verses 1 through 3. The bulk of chapter 15 are two songs of worship to God. Two songs of worship after the, you know, people have been, you know, they crossed the river, they've crossed the Red Sea, rather, you know, they've, they've, been, they've been delivered, they've seen God do the plagues, they forgot in the midst of the conflict that God was so powerful, and then they remember again, and now they're just saying, in the midst of all we still don't know out here in the desert, we will sing a song, Exodus 15, verses 1 through 3, then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, he's highly exalted, the horse and the rider, he's hurled into the sea, the Lord is my strength and song. He's become my salvation. This is my God and I'll praise him. My father's God and I'll extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. In the midst of what they still don't know, in the midst of desert places, they're saying, we're gonna stop right here and we're gonna worship. And later, the second song is actually Miriam. I mean, it would have been countercultural, this woman leading the whole nation in worship. She's out there with the tambourine. It's Moses' sister, Miriam. I just think of that Saturday Night Live skit, like more cowbell. You know, she's ringing the tambourine and they're praising and worshiping God in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of what God hasn't finished yet. They're able to say, we'll stop right here and worship. We've seen enough. and We've remembered that God will show up in our lives. And so many of us get caught into the end game of thinking that once it's all done, then my worship will begin. Once this illness is done, once this relationship is over, or once this relationship is fulfilled, or vocation, I've got all these stipulations of when worship will happen. And here in Exodus 15, they've said, we've seen enough. And you might be like, well, yeah, I mean, uh, there was a sea, there was play, like, I didn't see that. What have you seen? Has God showed up in your life? Has God been good to you? Has God provided for you in ways that maybe felt unexpected in the midst of desert places? Can you worship when you still don't know the ending? Right, for me, so much right now, even this morning, I'm just reminded like, how am I going to worship in the midst of a world gone mad? When consumer confidence in the nation of America is at an all-time low, in the light of what I still don't know, I will worship the Lord. Because it's the one thing that will resonate in a world gone mad. When life feels messy and things feel anxious or unsettled, I will worship the Lord, not out of my own perfection, but trying to jog the memory that out here in the desert, I've seen God provide before. I want to believe that God will show up again. These songs remind us that despite the chaos, God is a God of order, and he is for us. God is for you. God is for you. Like, I need you to leave this morning. I need you to take that encouragement. God is for me. And I can worship God even in the midst of middle places. I can trust that God will show up because he showed up before. And if you're a person this morning you're just like, I don't buy it. I, I want to encourage your honesty and I want to encourage you to continue to question. James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you're not sure that you can trust God, If you go to remember what God has done and you're like, I got nothing right now, I'll be praying for you this week that God shows up in specific ways and you can remember again the way in which the desert times of life can be times of intimacy with him. And look what happens in this final piece of Exodus 15. I told you we were covering a lot today, but it's so good. Look what happens here in this last little block of Exodus 15. They're out there in the desert needing water. Verses 22 through the end of 15. They've just been singing. They've just praised God in the midst of all that he's done. And Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, out in the middle of nowhere. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. We can pause there real quick, because anyone that reads the Bible and and thinks that it promises an easy journey is not reading closely enough. These are God's people. They're on this Exodus journey, wonderful. And out here in the desert, they've gone now three days a million people, no water. I mean, most experts say that's survival experts. You've got about three days before severe dehydration starts. Why does God take us to the places that feel like the end of our own strength? It's the beginning of our faithfulness. And so they're out here thirsty as all get out. Verse 23 And they came to Mara, this place of Mara. They could not drink the waters of Mara for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. So the people grumbled at Moses, the distraction of grumbling, saying, what should we drink? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. We can pause there, this big subtext over and over again in the series. You don't have to be perfect, and you don't have to be doubt-free, and you definitely don't have to always behave perfectly, but you are called, if you're going to be a woman or man after God's own heart, to take your complaints to him directly. Because when you take it to him, he wants to work through you. And so Moses speaks to God, and then God shows him a tree. God intervenes through Moses. And Moses throws the tree in the water, and the waters become drinkable. After three days, one million people have drinkable water. All because Moses cried out to God, and God provided. Therefore, God made for them a statute and regulation where He tested them. And he said, if you'll give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what's right, give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on you which I put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. I'm the healer. It's very intimate here. I'm the provider of water. I'm the commander-in-chief that just led you out of exile, but here I'm also your healer. In verse 27, they came to a new place, Elam, and there were 12 springs of water, and there in Elam were 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. We're called to not be people grumbling. How are we going to remember God's faithfulness if our hearts are always grumbling? And if we're thirsty this morning, we cry out to God for places where we need his provision. But we should be warned about a grumbling lifestyle. First Corinthians 10, Paul says, Do not make the same mistakes as Israel. They grumbled and complained. Be joyful, for in your memory builds gratitude. And gratitude builds more sustenance for the journey towards Christ. In the book of Jude, do not grumble we're like people who've left the faith. Instead, keep yourself in the love of God. When you're discouraged, when you're thirsty... Believe that God shows up. Believe that God is a God who longs to give you what you need to eat and drink and provide for you and to have a relationship with you. So you have these two locations from Mara to Elam. And Marah marked with bitterness and grumbling and Elam a place of provision and security and God providing. How do we stay in Elam? Guard your hearts against the grumbling, friends. Remember that you, looking backwards, have a God who's been there for you. He's been there for you. You know, back to the lake house uh, in my, you know, this is kind of windy, kind of stormy, I'm not seeing the gratitude like I had before, like it was on the last full day on Wednesday, which was truly a bit stormy and such, and kind of the end of the day, and literally, like we're out on the lake, and and my son, who's three, is just kind of zonked, and he's tired, and, and the storm clouds coming, and I'm just surveying all that's happening, storm clouds coming, waves are building, you know, we're driving the boat, and it, you know, it's not time of like chaos or panic, but I was just concentrating on all that was kind of happening around Meanwhile, my son gets up on my lap, and in about 30 seconds, he just melts into my chest. I put my arm around him, and he falls fast asleep. Though the storm clouds are building, though the water is getting worse, he is in the arms of a father. And friends, I I submit this illustration to you this morning to encourage you to, to know that you are on the father's lap. No matter where you've been in your family of origin, no matter where you're going right now, you belong to a God who cares for you and has cared for you and longs to wrap his arms around you and to let you know in remembering who he's been in your life, you'll have sustenance for the faith ahead. This is the time to remember. Will you pray with me now? Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for your church this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you have been a God that shows up You've showed up in the five years that we've been at church, in the hundred years that Bethany has been part of this city. Thank you for each and every one of the men and women here. And Father, my my prayer, my cry this morning is that they would find themselves securely on the lap of their Heavenly Father. That they would find themselves in, in whatever places of provision, or in places of of desert living, no matter how the wind is blowing, no matter what their experiences are, are, are kind of showing them to be true, that, Lord, they can worship you in the middle of this time, and that they would be continuing a trajectory of faithfulness, a journey towards more of you in their life, Lord. Less worry, less crumbling, less doubt, and more faithfulness, more power, more intimacy. You are the God who really cares, and the God that provides, Lord, we want to see you this morning. We, we covenant to remember that. In your great name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hopefully when you came in this morning, you got one of these little sheets that says, God, I remember. If you did not, there's some on the tables right behind. And as we continue in worship, I'm going to give you, uh, we're going to take, rather, 90 seconds as, as people here just to write some, some things that you remember Where did God show up in the past? I remember he was there in the darkest of days. I remember after this happened, he showed up. When you look in your life, when you look backwards onto God's role in your faithfulness, what do you remember? And you can write, you can draw it, you can write images, you can write a sentence. And then if you have the courage, I would encourage you to just bring this forward and that we would make this stage in this public high school an altar of faithfulness to the God who's remembered us. Because here's what happens here. If my page is blank, I can see these pages, and I can see the way God showed up for you, and it can be my strength. If your page feels empty this morning, we're going to be praying for you, that you would feel God's power in a new way this week. And for the rest of us, just take a couple moments and jot down places where God has been faithful and remember his goodness and bring it forward as we continue to worship God.